You're listening to Emmanuel Christian Center's podcast. Join us as we jump into our series called 180. One decision can change the direction of your life. A 180 degree turn sets us into a new future. Jesus really changes everything. Get ready. God is on the move. Good morning, church. How's everyone doing today? Excited? How many guys love Jesus today? Amen. That was the right answer with the right energy. So good to be together. And I love what happens when we come and meet, when we get to hear inspiring life stories like Sam Martin's today. I just want to thank you so much for sharing the life change, the 180 moments when Jesus stepped into your story and it just inspires and strengthens our faith as well. I want to take a moment to also shout out Pastor Lawrence, who was singing, leading us in worship. He's from our Lakeville location. So Emmanuel Lakeville, can we just show him some love as well? And uh, today's Palm Sunday, so it's a good day to clap, right? And uh, the, uh, we get to celebrate the moment when Jesus enters Jerusalem, and, uh, and there's all this cheering, and there's the singing of Hosanna, and they didn't have the benefit of having Gabby and, and uh, Lawrence and the whole worship team there, but they, they were celebrating the entrance of the king, and he was fulfilling the prophecy of riding in on the colt of a donkey, and so there's all this expectation. Little did they know that they were uh, going to enter a very unique week. We know that this is Easter week, you know, and uh, as we have studied the passion and all the different steps and the, the moment of the Last Supper and the foot washing and then the betrayal and Gethsemane and, and, uh, and then the trials and then the, the, uh, the, the failure of uh, disciples and Peter turning his back on, on the Lord and then, and then the moment when Christ is crucified. And we're going to be celebrating Good Friday this Friday and, uh, and really looking forward to taking that moment to celebrate The love of God expressed in the sacrifice of Christ. But it doesn't end there. How many know that Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is always coming, right? And then Jesus is raised from the tomb. Resurrection power, the same power of the Holy Spirit that operates in us today, raised him up from the tomb and brought hope into our story. This isn't only a story from 2,000 years ago. It's part of our own journey. It's part of God bringing hope into our own journey in our own steps in our own life. As I uh, have been thinking about uh, this Easter week, you know, I started doing some research and looking for evidence in the Bible of uh, any, anything that would help me understand Easter bunny and, uh, and the Easter eggs and all that. And this is as close as I could get. I don't know. <laughs> Does it count? Does it not? I don't know. So I mean, we'll just, we'll just leave that there. We're going to head into week three of 180. Jesus changes everything. How many say amen to that? Right? He changes everything. Today, as we look at the story of Nicodemus, it's kind of a little bit of a different uh, story. We looked at the story of the woman at the well. We realized that Jesus meets us at that place, like the well, the place of, of, of maybe frustration, hopelessness. And uh, he changes everything when he comes and steps into our story. Then last week, Pastor Nate preached about how Jesus reached out and touched a leper who had been cut off from community, cut off from hope, and God brought healing, wholeness, restoration, and he brought him back into community 
by extending his hand, by knowing and noticing and loving him and extending his hand, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Today is kind of a unique approach because Nicodemus is, he's, he's of a, 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 you know, he's a scholar in all things scripture. He's someone who has dedicated his life to studying the word, to, uh, to uh, trying to live it out in the, in, in the smallest of details, live out what he is learning from scripture. He's a Pharisee. He's very committed. Now you'll read the Gospels and you'll see a group of, of Pharisees that are always out to get Jesus. They're always trying to set a trap, to ambush him through questions. And they'll try to do this publicly. They'll try to make him contradict themselves or, or, or go against the religious law or go against the Roman law. And they're never able to corner him into a spot where he is, he's trapped. He always finds a way to, to you know, answer a question with a question. And he always finds a way to, uh, to continue to fulfill God's purpose in his life. Nicodemus doesn't approach Jesus in the daylight. He doesn't do it in public. He does it under the cover of night. Many biblical scholars uh, understand that this would mean that he's just worried about the fallout of, of his reputation. You know, if he is known to have taken steps towards Jesus, to have a conversation with Jesus, it might end up damaging his affiliation with the Pharisees or it might damage his reputation within his community. So he's hungry, he's, he's seeking, and he comes to Jesus at night to have a conversation. He's open, he's, he's desiring more. He knows everything that he has done to accomplish uh, great things in his life. But he knows that there's got to be more. And what it says in John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, there was a man named Nicodemus, a religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. We're going to watch a short clip from The Chosen that depicts the conversation, the interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. Check this out. Have you come here to show us a kingdom? That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? <laughs> I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, and she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit, his spirit, that part of you, that is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? Listen, 
the wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the spirit. The spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the spirit, you can recognize his effect. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It's hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents. And they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert. And people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up. So that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son... Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? Like that last scene of... Yeah, you can go ahead and clap. That's a good one to do it, so... It's better if we, you know, mention and do it. And I like that last scene where, uh, where John, the beloved disciple, seems to be kind of catching every word and writing it down. And uh, that's... That's the way the uh, directors of the, of the Chosen imagined it. I love the conversation that happened. We're going to take a look at it in, further in Scripture. But it seems like Jesus is just all over the place, right? He's talking about birth. Then he's talking about wind. Then he's talking about bronze uh, serpents. And, and it's just, you know, what is he doing? And what he is, he's accomplishing is he's helping Nicodemus to work through his own assumptions. Nicodemus struggle with something that all of us are, are prone to do. We think that we can improve ourselves. We think that we can fix ourselves. We think that our own efforts are going to bring about transformation. We rely on ourselves too much, and we lose sight of the fact that it needs to be God, and it needs to be His grace to bring about true change in our life. Amen? Look at what it says in John chapter 3, 3. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? So he's taking it really literally in, in, uh, in, in the clip where he's like, well, what if my mom's not around? I mean, you couldn't do it if she was alive either. So we can't change 
without help. A counselor uh, was working with a couple that had uh, gone through a, a, an event where trust was broken. There was deceit. There was, uh, there was unfaithfulness involved. And uh, the wife comes and says, I, he's, he's really changed. This time he's really changed. And the counselor said, well, how do you know? I, I just believe it. I want to believe it. And I see some of the different. Well, what help has he sought out? Oh, none. He's just trying harder this time. And the counselor said, we don't change without help. We just learn how to lie better. And uh, the, the reality is often we lie to ourselves too. We convince ourselves that we can pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, that if we just try harder, if we do it right the next time, that we will accomplish uh, that change that we're pursuing, that we're seeking. That's exhausting. And it's, it's disappointing. And it's frustrating. And it can create all kinds of conflicts. And most faith systems and religions really come at it this way, where it really has to be our efforts and our merits and our actions that add up to improving us and making us better. What God has taught us through Scripture is that our best intentions and our best efforts will never be enough. We can't just add God to all the, the benefits that we've achieved on our own. We need a new beginning and a fresh start. That's why Jesus talks about birth. Right away, he says, you need to be born again, a new beginning, a true new beginning, not just adding faith to an already improved uh, life. God is not an accessory to our own way of doing life. He needs to start from scratch and make us new from the beginning. I had the privilege, the blessing, and the trauma of being present for both of uh, the births of my kids. And... Uh, I can't act like, I mean, I really didn't do much. I was just there, right? And uh, Analia did most of the uh, pushing, literally. And, and uh, I remember 17 years ago when Santi was born at Mercy Hospital over in Anoka. Uh, he was so comfortable in the womb, smart boy. It was uh, December, it was cold out. He's like, I'm not, what, December in Minnesota? I'm not coming out. And uh, he, uh, he stayed in for a full 26 hours of active labor. And uh, stubborn child. And, uh, and so we, uh, you know, finally he was born and we, you know, and we got to celebrate his arrival. And, and uh, it was just, it was an amazing experience. And then um, a few years later, 14 years ago, Zoe was born. And we were here for a Saturday night service. And Aliyah's like, I think she's coming. We'd done all the, uh, you know, the, the doctor checkups. And I had already painted the room pink, right? Because nesting is a real thing. And, and so then we went over to Unity right across the street here at Spring Lake Park. And, uh, and, and Zoe was in a hurry to get here. And, uh, and she came a lot sooner than we thought. And so she came so quick that the doctor had his flannel shirt on still when, when uh, true story, when, when he delivered her. I mean, he did have some of the other medical equipment and scrubs on, but flannel shirt. And uh, I was, I, you know, I was happy and, and trying to be goofy or whatever. And I, you know, had the brilliant idea of kidding around with my wife uh, at childbirth. I'm like, oh, it's not a girl. It's a boy. And uh, I got to repaint the room. And she's like, what? And then I said, oh, I'm just, it's just a joke. I'm just kidding. It is a girl. And she's like, why? Why would you, why would you kid around right now? Right. And, uh, and then they said, you want to cut the umbilical cord? And they gave me that, you know, special surgical uh, scissors. And I'm coming over and I'm going to cut the cord. And 
all of a sudden, uh, I just, you know, I noticed all the other, I'm not going to get graphic, but I noticed a lot of other stuff that was around there, and, uh, and I started getting a little woozy, and, uh, and everything kind of started to sound like it was far off, and there's just like a, you know, and, um, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll be right back, and so I went and started washing my face, and the nurses are like, oh, someone else wants some attention, you know, and so... Didn't pass out. I'm okay. I'm okay. Right. I needed a little attention for myself too. But um, birth is is truly a, a, a beginning of life. We celebrate it every year. Uh, you know, the 30th of April is Aliyah's birthday, and uh, we celebrate all of April and all of May. I'm making up for the joke in the delivery room, right? Uh, we celebrate that new beginning, and, uh, and we celebrate the fact that, that uh, we, we find our, our origin, our source in that, our identity in that, our belonging to a family in that. You know, recently, on a, uh, Zoe, was, she's been working this week on a, on a project for school, and she's got to write about her heritage and the cultures and her background, and so she's like, you know, what backgrounds do I have? And I'm like, get ready for a long text. And uh, she's a beautiful combination of all kinds of humanity. And so she's got German. She's got some Swedish. She's got some English. She's got some Italian. She's got some Spaniard. She's got some Syrian. And then she's got some Guarani uh, spunk, that Indian from South America. You know, that's the, uh, you know, and so all kinds, all blended into who she is. But that's not all, because we're more than just a collection of cells in DNA, uh, we are, we're part of, of, of the family that God brings us into. And when Jesus talks about birth, he's saying, Nicodemus, you will not experience the kingdom of God, the will of God. Not, he's not only talking about heaven, you're not going to experience God's purpose and plan to the fullest unless you are born again. If you're born from him, unless he is your source and you are not your own source. Unless you learn to find your identity and your belonging in what he has done, not what you can accomplish in your own strength. And I think this is a lifelong lesson that we need to walk in and we need to apply. It's so easy to get uh, confused and think that we need to do everything in our own life, that we are the ones that need. And this can get in the way of us understanding how faith actually works we all need to be born again. How many say amen to that? First Peter chapter 123 says, For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Because it comes from God, it stretches into eternity. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all this is a gift from God. See the, the source, the origin. It's a gift from God. He initiates it. And he's the one who brought us back to himself through Christ. God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. This is something that we celebrate in baptism. So interesting Sam, that, that it was at a baptism service that God spoke to you and said, I want to reset your trajectory and lead you into the life that I've prepared for you. And like you said, there's a part that God plays in the part that we play. He initiates it, and then we respond 
by embracing what he is doing. In baptism, we celebrate the fact that the old flawed version of ourselves is buried, left behind, buried with Christ, symbolized in the water. And then we are raised with Christ, symbolized by coming out of the water, to be the new version of who God has called us to be. And I love that, that throughout Scripture we're reminded of this. I cannot change on my own. I need it to be God working and transforming me from the inside out. Let's go back to the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Verse 5 in John 3 says, Jesus replied, I assure you no one can enter the kingdom of God without being of water and the Spirit. Some renditions say water even the Spirit because water is one of the classic symbols of the Holy Spirit. So it's the work of the Spirit in us. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus makes a huge statement here. New beginnings have to happen on God's terms. They are initiated by him and they need to be fulfilled by him. It's got to be the Holy Spirit in us. Human efforts bring about human results. Okay? You want to do some self-improvement? All you're going to achieve is improvement of self up to a certain extent. You want to experience true life change? It's got to be the Holy Spirit in us that brings about a, a completely new reality, completely new identity, completely new belonging to him. It's the fruit of the Spirit in us that teaches us how to truly love, how to truly be kind, how to truly be faithful, how to have joy, how to reflect the character of Christ. He's the one. It's not me trying, I gotta be more patient, I gotta be more patient, I gotta be more patient. You know, because that doesn't work. It's, uh, it's Holy Spirit, you really need to help me with this because I'm, I'm not going to be able to achieve it in my own strength. And he'll say, okay, I'll take the lead. You need to follow with me. We all need the Holy Spirit in our life. A couple years ago, I, I ran across this great book and uh, I'm just telling a story. I'm not endorsing it or selling it after service, okay? Um, the Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. I, you probably have heard of it or read it. It's just, it's a great resource. And it really talks about, breaks down how we function, how our habits. We all are creatures of habit. How many of you are sitting in a seat that you've sat at before here at Emmanuel, right? How many, I mean, how much mental effort did you put into choosing that seat? You're, you just let your habit kick in and it just, you were on autopilot and you kind of walked there. You probably got in a fight if someone else's habit interfered with yours. And they happen to usurp your spots, right? And so uh, we are creatures of habit. Habit uh, works against us when we develop, uh, like, like we were talking about, a dependency on substance, when we have unhealthy relationships, when our thought life runs rampant, when we, we do destructive things. Our habits end up leading us in the direction of destruction, Good habits position us to make better choices, right? 
And so I'm reading this story and I'm like into habit stacking and I'm explaining to my wife and I'm like, hey, did you know what Denzel Washington said? Put your shoes under your bed at night. That way, when you get up in the morning, the first thing you got to do is kneel down. Remember to pray in the morning, right? Like I'm going to start hacking all kinds of things with finances eating, hell, I'm going to put the unhealthy food in the back of the fridge till it spoils and I toss it. Then I'm not going to buy anymore. I'm going to put the healthy stuff up front and then I'm going to, you know, and so I'm trying to design this whole new trajectory of, of life, which is great. And I love uh, my wife's love and candor with me. She's like, oh, that's amazing. Where does the Holy Spirit fit into all of this? And I said, I got to start reading another book too, right? And so, um, uh, I can't replace what only he can do in my life. I'm not saying, hey, don't, you know, don't worry about habits. No, work on your habits, but start from what he has initiated in you. It's through his work and through his grace that we are able to jump onto the momentum of life change. We play a part as we respond to what he has started in us. Romans 7, uh, Paul empathizes with that struggle, that frustration, that exhaustion of saying, I, I really have the best intentions, but I always screw up. I always end up doing what I don't want to do, and then what I should do, I don't do, and I feel like I'm stuck in a cycle of misery, and who's going to ever deliver me of this? And I've read that before, and I've identified with it, and i amen, and then I realize that chapter 8 describes what I should be living. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, who has broken that pattern and has brought the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives me victory over the draw and the tendency towards sin and death and destruction. And he has freed me to live a different reality. If I don't have the Holy Spirit at work in my life, and I'm only relying on my own best efforts, I'm always going to live in frustration and exhaustion. And I'm never going to be enough. And I'm never going to get anywhere. And I'm always going to be angry at myself, at God, and at people around me. But if I realize that it's him who initiates it, and him who also carries it out through the Holy Spirit, then I understand where I fit in the equation. I don't invite him to be an accessory in my life. I say I want you to be the essence, the center, and I want to follow your lead in every aspect. We all need the Holy Spirit. How many say amen to that? Love that Jesus uses the symbol of wind because we all want to domesticate the Holy Spirit. We want, we want to be able to call on him when we want. And uh, we recently visited some of Analia's family, and they had a, a parrot that they taught all kinds of phrases to, you know, and uh, I loved it, you know, except for he kept on cheering for the opposing team, not my team, but the opposing team. And he always like yell out goals for this other team. And I, you know, it made me a little angry at that parrot. But the parrot learned all these phrases and would call people from the family and would bark at the dog. And it was just, it was amazing. It was a parrot with tricks. That's not the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit is not a pet that we domesticate, that we shape, and that we teach to mimic what is inside of us, inside of what we want. And we're not his pets either. <laughs> By the way, he is Lord. He is King. The Holy Spirit is is revealed through a bunch of different symbols, water, wind, the dove, but it's the work of God. It's the person of God 
at work inside of us, changing us from the deepest part of our being, changing our essence, changing our nature, and then that fruit is cultivated and it's reflected in our reactions, in our relationships, in our decisions, in our responses. We need the Holy Spirit in our life. Nicodemus, you're approaching faith the wrong way. You haven't made room for grace or for the Holy Spirit. You need God to start something new in you, and you need him to build from that place through his spirit. You need to follow his lead. You can't domesticate. You can't, you can't tame the spirit. You can just follow him. John 3.10, Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you that what we have known and what we have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe you if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the, man, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. I love that one of these best known verses in the Gospels. John 3.16 happens in the context of a conversation with an expert in Scripture. None of us are beyond our need for the gospel. Every one of us needs a savior. How many say amen to that? None of us have graduated beyond our need for Jesus, beyond our need for the cross, beyond our need for the Holy Spirit in our life. We need to be reminded of what is essential, and we need to build our life from there. Jesus references a, a, a unique story from Numbers chapter 21. He talks about the people of Israel They've already uh, been broken out of captivity in Egypt, and they are on their way to the land of promise. And, uh, and, and they grow hungry in the desert. God sends manna, and, and he's sustaining them, and they're following the cloud. But in this process from freedom to purpose, they get frustrated. They get impatient. They get grumpy. They get angry. They, get, they start complaining. And they curse God, and they curse Moses, and they curse everything around them. And they, by turning their back on God, expose themselves to life without God, to judgment. And then there's these poisonous snakes that begin to attack the camp, and uh, people start dropping because of the poison. They begin to die because they're bitten by these snakes. So they call out, Moses calls out to God, and he says, God, these are your people. Let's not... Let this, you know, this journey and, 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 and this plan be sabotaged halfway through. We need, to, we need you to bring about an answer. And God answers in Numbers 21, verse 8 and 9. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of the poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole then anyone who was bitten by the snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. What, a, what an interesting, what a curious uh, way that God responded to this need in Numbers 21. But it was actually like a, 
like a foreshadow of what was going to happen through Christ. So the people are, they've turned their back on God. They're frustrated. They're angry. Now they've been bitten by poisonous, venomous animals. And, and God brings a solution. All they need to do, all they need to do is turn and look. There goes my notes. Now I've got to preach without notes. We're going to be here for a long time, folks. All they needed to do was turn their eyes and their attention to this emblem, this symbol. The power was not in the bronze snake. The power was in God who was bringing about healing. This is a depiction that is, you know, it's, it's a couple hundred years old, but it captures that moment. That's a, a, like a statue of a snake on a stake. How many see a, a similarity between that stake and the, how the artist drew it to what we're celebrating this upcoming weekend, the cross, the crucifixion. Jesus draws that parallel. Because in the same way that this solution from God was raised up so that anyone who turned their attention, their eyes to it, would experience healing, wholeness, and hope. Anyone who turns to Jesus fixes their eyes on him, believes in him, will experience healing and hope and wholeness. Regardless of how infected you are with the poison of, of sin, destruction, uh, death, of, of fallen humanity, if you turn your eyes to Jesus, this can be a new beginning and hope can be restored in your story. I love that uh, Jesus makes this connection both of them were raised up as a solution from God. It's interesting that God uses the thing that they feared most as the thing that they needed to look upon in the desert. And it was facing that. And it, for us, it's, it's understanding that the cross was a symbol of judgment in the days of Jesus. It has become a symbol of hope for us. I've got a, a wooden cross that was gifted to me by Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge from Rochester when we visited this last week. Have it in my office and use it as a reminder to pray for the clients in the process of life change that they're going through. But a cross has become a symbol of a faith system. And it may have lost the impact that it should have in our life. I'm not talking about a physical shape. Some of them have drawn it like this. We've got them on the sides of our sanctuary as well. I'm saying we need to realize that the cross is not just an event from 2,000 years ago. The cross has brought an impact to our story. There is a before and an after the cross in our own journey. That's the 180. When Jesus steps in, he carried, he carried our sin, our judgment, our consequences, so that we could have a new beginning and a fresh start. And, and Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus. He's saying, in the same way, that the serpent was lifted up, the Son of Man will be lifted up. And anyone who looks to him, anyone who believes in him will be saved. Too often the cross has become an accessory we wear around our necks, in jewelry, maybe have it in pictures at home. But we forget that the symbol of judgment is the source of hope in our own story. Entering the kingdom of God needs to be accessed through belief. Entering the promised land for them also need to happen through belief. It's an amazing thing that happens when we realize that our efforts, our best efforts are never going to be enough. 
We actually find victory when we surrender, when we stop striving, when we stop trying in our own. It's not like, okay, God, I'm ready to tap out. Now you can jump in. When we say, God, I, I just need you to be Lord. I need you to be sovereign. I need you as my savior today. That's when true life, new life actually begins. And that's how we continue to walk in that new life. As we approach Easter weekend, we're going to be focusing on the events surrounding the crucifixion. But it's not only about Easter. It's about how we approach each and every day in our whole life after Easter as well. Every one of us needs a Savior. Amen? Every single one of us needs a Savior. It's not just a thing that we remember once a year. It's something that we live by. Loved how you uh, included a verse that you didn't know, Sam, that I had in my notes. And, uh, and it actually, the way Sam ended his 180 story was with the verse I want to reference from Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to the crowd, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. The cross represents surrendering my own way and saying, God, I want to live life for you. I want to live it your way, on your terms, with your strength, through the Holy Spirit. And uh, we don't, one of the unique things about Nicodemus in John 3 is we don't see that, that turning moment for Nicodemus in that chapter. Uh, you know, I wish that that had been included where he could say, and then Nicodemus broke down and he said, I realize that I'm insufficient and I need you. And, but we just see glimpses of his journey later on. John chapter 7, he, he uh, intervenes and kind of defends Jesus when they're trying to arrest him. And then in John chapter 19, after the crucifixion has happened, it's probably all the puzzle pieces fell into place. And he's like, the Son of Man was lifted up. Okay, that, now that makes sense. He goes to the tomb of Jesus in John chapter 19 with Joseph of Arimathea, the owner of that tomb. And Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of spices for the burial ceremony. It's a way of honoring Jesus. And his name... Uh, is remembered throughout the rest of the Gospels as well as someone who had an honest, open conversation, met the person of Jesus, and he had an opportunity to say, I want to respond to your initiative, God. I realize that all the knowledge and the best efforts are never going to be enough. I need your grace. I need you to bring about life change in me. Today, as we... Uh, are preparing to to conclude this message, I just want to remind you, our stories are not done. None of us, none of us have finished that story. God is still at work in each and every one of us. We will never outgrow our need for a Savior. We need grace daily. We need to remember that I need to surrender daily so that God's life can take the the driver's seat And, and, and the fact is, we will have opportunities. God will give us opportunities to be able to, to share the faith, that the abundance of the faith that's growing in us for those who are low on faith, to share faith with the people around us. There will be moments for conversations, for, for, uh, for connecting with neighbors and friends and coworkers. God will provide moments. It's not about, you know, uh, you know doing a, a, a debate or sparring with them on, 
on, on, on different biblical texts. It's about encountering the person of Jesus. Human effort will only bring about human results. If we want to see true miracles happen, we need to say, God, we welcome what only you can do in our lives. Amen. Would you stand with me today? I want to pray specifically for all those who say, I need God to bring a 180 in an aspect of my life. In a moment, we're going to pray. It might be in a relationship, might be in your marriage, might be your inner world. Maybe you're struggling with your thoughts. Maybe you're struggling with depression or anxiety. Maybe you're struggling with your, your business or your finances. You say, I need, I've tried everything I can do within, within the scope of my possibilities, within what I can think of in, in human knowledge and human effort I've exhausted my resources and you're ready to say God I want to welcome what only you can do in my in my in my life in every aspect of my life we're going to pray for that also want to take a moment to pray for for conversations and invitations that that'll be happening throughout this week uh, there's a unique thing a unique opportunity leading up to Easter where people are they're more open than usual to have conversations around church. And they may be in the mindset of a Nicodemus where they're thinking of checking things off a list. Our prayer is that they would encounter the person of Jesus. Amen. And that their lives would be forever changed and that Jesus would not only change them, but change their whole world, change their relationships and every, every circle and sphere that they are connected to. So we're going to pray for them too, but we're going to start with with an initial prayer for all of those who are here today that say, you know what? I am tired of trying in my own strength and I need God to initiate life change in me. If you're far from God today, maybe you've drifted away. Maybe you've never had a relationship with him. We're going to pray together and God is going to bring about what Jesus described, a new beginning and a fresh start. Could you close your eyes with me? Open your hearts and If this is you, you say, you know what? I'm far from God today and I need God to give me a new beginning. I need him to forgive me. I need him to bring hope into my story. I need him to transform me. I don't want him to just patch me up. I want him to make me new. If you're far from God, that's your desire. You want to pray that Jesus would be the center Your Lord and Savior, can you just raise your hand where you're at? Raise your hand and say, that's me. That's where I'm at. God bless you. 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 The same invitation Jesus extended back in John 3 to Nicodemus. doesn't matter how long you've, you've been around the things of faith. It's, it, you know, it's the same foundation for all of us. It's got to be something he starts, he initiates. And belief is expressed through our words. So I'm going to invite you to, to say this prayer. Make it your own. Church, if you could pray this out with me, repeat these words. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to live a sinless life, to die on the cross for me, to carry the poison for me. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for raising him from the dead, for bringing hope into my story. And I ask that from this day on, Jesus would be my Lord and Savior and that I could live every day with the strength of the Spirit.
In your name I pray. Amen. And Father, I just pray for every individual that needs to experience a miracle, a turnaround moment in every sphere of their life. God, I just ask for families. I ask for finances. I ask for business. I ask for inner worlds. I ask for every aspect where there needs to be a miracle. I ask God that you would extend your hand. We welcome and invite you to do what only you can do. If that's you, can you just raise your hand towards heaven and say, God, I, I welcome you to do what only you can do. I've tried in my own strength. I've tried with every resource and every possibility I can come up with and think about, but I need to invite you to step into my story and turn things around and pray specifically for that area. And God, we want to pray for every conversation, every invitation, every opportunity you'll put in our path. God, as we lead up to this Easter weekend, we know that you'll give us opportunities to be able to speak about you, to invite people to come and know you. And God, I ask that you would just give us your heart first and foremost and give us God the confidence God to know that that you will meet those folks God give us Lord opportunities to invite and Lord let this upcoming weekend be filled with moments of life change in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus can you just in your own words just begin to say thank you Jesus Thank you for being within the reach, God, of my prayers. Thank you for responding. Thank you for listening. Thank you for always being faithful. We speak your name, God. We call out on you. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into a community, or join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to continue to do. The best is yet to come.